0: Welcome to STD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out in our West Auditorium. You can also tune in to our services live online at ccoastchrist.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. Here's where we're at, is we have been uh, in a new series the last few weeks, and the series is called After Party. After God shows up, it's time to party. That's kind of like the biblical pattern that we see throughout the scriptures, and um, and so we've been looking at different stories in which we have seen God show up, and the response of the people has been to celebrate. And So today, um, we're going to be looking at a couple stories, actually, and these stories, um, they're, they're hundreds of years apart. One is in the Old Testament, one is in the New Testament, and at first glance, you might think that there's nothing that really is, like, related. The the two just seem totally different from one another. But I think there are some parallels, some stuff that we can learn from both of these stories as we compare and contrast them a little bit. And whether you're a church person or not, you probably have heard both of these stories before. Uh, The first story that we're going to look at is the story of Jonah. Now, immediately, what do you think of when you think of Jonah? A whale, right? Uh, And so, you got to be honest, it feels a little bit like a children's story, as you read it, and I grew up in church and with the coloring books, and so this was one of our favorite ones, as Jonah and the whale, and uh, and you might miss it, you might miss the point if you just think of it as a children's story, because it's actually very far from a children's story. There's been people who have studied this for, for thousands of years now, and it is a it's an interesting and multifaceted story, and there's so much in there, especially as we look forward to the New Testament. So I don't want you to get caught up on that. I get it. You're like, oh, that's a children. That could never happen. Which, by the way. Could happen, right? Like we heard, did you guys hear that the last couple of years? Somebody claimed to have been swallowed by, eh, whatever. Anyway, um, but, uh, but if you don't know about Jonah, Jonah is a prophet. And to be a prophet in the Old Testament is not a job that you would sign up for. Because the job of the prophet is they are called by God to go to a group of people who are disobeying and say, hey, you better turn this thing around or God's going to discipline you. Not a happy message that anybody wants to deliver. Well, Jonah is a prophet. We're going to find out where he's called to right here. Jonah 1, 1 says this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, to go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness had come up before me. So Nineveh, if you're not familiar, this is, it's a major city, and it's also one of Jonah, who is a Hebrew, one of their enemies, and they're a ruthless people. One of the things that they're most well known for is they can skin a person alive and continue to keep them alive for longer than anybody else. So that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of their reputation. And so Jonah is looking at this thinking, first of all, uh, you want me to call these people to repentance who are my enemies and are ruthless. I think I would rather skip the repentance and go straight to the judgment. But he's called to go uh, to these people. But here's what he says. Uh, Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So, not only does he say, "Not going to do it. Um, I'm going to head in the very opposite direction of where you have called me to go." Which, by the way, first observation: Whenever we run from God, we we seem to make the dumbest decisions. Like we run to the strangest places and people. Like, have you ever run from God before? You don't have to admit it. You don't have to admit it. But just think about the last time you ran from God. Where is it that you ran to? So Jonah, where he runs to, is probably the last place that you would want to be, in a boat in the middle of the sea. Can you get more vulnerable than that? We run to some strange and odd places when we run from God, because what we're doing is we're running from the source of all wisdom and truth, and so as we get further and further from God, we end up in some very strange places. You can see this on a personal level. You can also see this on a societal level. I have a um, a child that, uh, youngest child, he seems to be missing a filter somewhere along the way. You know, like, we're all born with these filters, you know, where we're going to make decisions and, and run them through these filters, like, is this right or wrong? Is this good or bad? You know, what are the consequences going to be? Um, he is missing, he's missing a few of those filters along the way, where once he has determined, I'm going to do this, this is it. That's the filter. Do I want to do this? Yes or no? Okay, let's go. And so uh, this last week, this is a typical week. This is not an out-of-the-ordinary out example is he decided that he wanted to, I don't know where he learned this, he wanted to try a trust fall. And so he lined himself up, and he decided to just let it go and try a trust fall. The problem is he was by himself. Again, filters, not there. And, and he just lays himself out. My dad happened to be there, and he watched him do this whole thing, and he just looks at him and just goes, what is, what is wrong with you, dude? What is your problem? And I find myself throughout the week asking multiple times how did you think this was going to end? Like, what did you think that the end result was going to be? It's almost just like, what is, there's a piece missing here. How did you think this was going to play out? And that's kind of what's happening with Jonah here, is, well, how did you think that this was going to end? You ran from God onto a boat in the middle of the ocean. Continues on. Then the Lord. You just pause right there. Then the Lord, it's like the music starts dun, 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 dun. Then the Lord, we have a then the Lord moment, right? Where God shows up because you can't run from Him forever. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Okay, here's the second observation there is always a storm attached to disobeying God, there's always a storm. It may be an obvious storm, or it may not be so obvious. It may be immediate, or it may be in the long run. But whenever we would disobey God, we we have to know that there's going to be a storm attached to it. Now, here's the difference. When we read the Bible, we see God's discipline like this, and we see something miraculous, like a storm, or he rains down fire from the sky, and we think, that's what God's discipline looks like. No, that's not how God usually disciplines. He doesn't have to, because the way that God has created the world— he he says, Look, I have created the world for there to be gifts, for things for you to use. And if you misuse those gifts, it's not that I have to intervene and discipline you. When you misuse them, the discipline is embedded into the very creation. It's like in the fabric of reality. So for example, the most obvious one is um, the creation of sex. God makes sex, he says it's a great gift, here's how you're supposed to use it. And then if we begin to misuse it, he doesn't have to intervene miraculously. There is discipline in that. We will see the breakdown of relationships, of our emotional health, even our our physical bodies. We see it in a society as a whole. Is the punishment, the discipline, is in the misuse of his good gifts. So the story continues on, and the sailors are freaking out. So they start throwing cargo overboard, and, and all of this is happening, and Jonah is asleep, And so the captain goes and wakes up and goes, dude, what are you doing? We're about to die. Wake up. You need to do something. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you come from. I don't know know what gods you believe in, but you need to begin to pray. And so they do this thing. It's like a superstitious thing where they would cast lots, and they were trying to determine whose fault, who was responsible for this giant storm, and it lands on Jonah, and they go, Jonah, what did you do? Why did you anger your gods? says, well, there's only one God. I'm a Hebrew. It's the God of heaven and earth, and I have rebelled against him. And so if you want this storm to calm down, you're going to have to throw me overboard. You're going to have to sacrifice me. And these guys are like, we're not murderers. If we throw you overboard, that is certain death. He says, look, this is the only way that you're going to calm this storm. So over the side he goes. Verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days... And three nights. Okay, let's pause real quick, because remember I said that there's another story that this parallels with? So this one is in the Old Testament. If we fast forward hundreds of years to the New Testament, we see Jesus telling this story, probably his most famous story, the story of the prodigal son or the two sons. In Already, we can see that these are very similar stories. You may not notice it at first, but they're very similar stories. It begins with, in the prodigal son, the story begins with the younger son or the younger brother. And what he does is he goes to his father and he asks for his inheritance. He's pretty much saying, look, I wish that you were dead. I can't wait that long, so I'm going to take your stuff now. And the father actually does it. He divides his property. He gives this son all of his uh, inheritance, and the son goes off and he squanders it on wild living. He just goes out, and he parties like a rock star, and as he is out there, eventually, he hits rock bottom, and it's not the belly of a fish. It's in a pig's trough, but it's probably pretty bad as well, and so we see these two stories happening. We see the prodigal son, and we see Jonah. Both are in rebellion against their father, their heavenly father, and both are now experiencing the consequences of their decisions. Okay, back to Jonah. 2 1. From the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord. So um, I can't count how many times I've been in this place before. In my distress, I call to the Lord. Like how many times have you done that before, right? Where maybe it started when you were a kid and you're like, I can't make it through school. This is the only way I'm gonna pass. And then you fast forward. This might be why you're here today is you have looked at every other option in the world and gone, I can't figure this out. My life's a mess. Maybe it's your mess that you made. Maybe it's because we live in a messy world, but you're just thinking maybe there's a God and he can help out somehow. I have seen people who are uh, professing atheists pretty hardcore about it, and in those moments in which they have nothing else to reach for, they'll reach for God. I think of one in particular. I was at the the bedside of a dying relative of theirs, and they said, look, I don't believe in any of this, but I need you to pray for me right now. I thought, isn't that interesting? When we hit rock bottom, what do we reach for? There's something within us that knows I got to reach for God. And he answered me, from deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listen to my cry. He's saying here is I finally hit rock bottom, I've hit my lowest point, I've run out of options, and I reached out to you. And here's what's surprising. You actually listened. You actually heard my cry for help. The prayer continues on throughout chapter two. Let me give you the last line of his prayer, though. It says, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. See God's discipline to Jonah. It was thorough. He didn't take it light on him. I think being in the belly of a fish for three days—that's that's pretty good punishment. And yet, it's not because God wanted to pay him back. God's not vindictive and going, oh, "I'm, I'm going to get you, Jonah, for disobeying me." No, 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 no. His discipline was not to pay him back, but to win him back. Because that was what the ultimate result was supposed to be. Is I'm not going to just punish you because I want to. I want to be vindictive. It's because I want you back, Jonah. And that was the result. He comes to his senses and he goes, You know what? It's a lot better to be on God's side than running from him. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now, don't miss it here. Again, you think this is a children's story. Don't miss the symbolism of what's taking place. Now, I think it's true that this happened. There's a God. This is a pretty simple thing to be able to do. But don't miss this. Jonah, he was. In the belly of the fish, he was dead for three days. And after three days, he has this resurrection where he has come to life. And it is all because of his repentance and God's forgiveness. Remember, this is like hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus. It's almost as if it's pointing to something that will happen in the future. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. So he heads off to Nineveh, which is about 550 miles away from where he's at, so it's going to take him quite a, a bit of time. Eventually, he gets there, and his message is very simple Repent, or else God is going to judge you. In 40 days, he's going to send another nation to come and to dominate you, to take you over, to wipe you out, unless you turn this thing around. And you know what they did? They actually listened. Yeah, he was shocked. They actually began to repent. The whole nation says, you are right. We have been wicked. We have been evil. Even the king makes a decree. And so they start repenting. God, forgive us. We understand that we deserve judgment. But if you will please see in your compassion and grace the ability to forgive us. And so he does. No, back to the prodigal. We see the same thing happening in the prodigal. The prodigal son, as you remember, he goes out, he hits rock bottom, he's in a pig trough, and he decides... I can't live like this. Maybe if I go back to my father's house, I know that I don't deserve any kind of forgiveness, but maybe he'll at least allow me to just be a part of his household, one of his servants, because at least they have shelter, they have food, and so I'm going to go back, and I'm just going to beg, please, just, just let me live here. And so he goes back, and not only does the father welcome him with open arms, but he starts to just rain down blessings on him, just things that he obviously did not deserve. He even throws this celebration, the biggest that the town had ever seen, and he welcomes his son back. And the point of the story is, and and you and I, we kind of miss this sometimes, maybe because either we've been in church for a long time or just being born in the West, but the people who are hearing this are thinking, is there really a God like that? Like a God who would forgive me even though I don't deserve it? A God who, even though I do deserve punishment and I have rebelled against, that he would not only forgive me, but he would rain down these incredible blessings? Is there really a God like that? Because up until this point, nobody thought there was a God like that. So, this should be the end of the story. Um, If Disney had written this story, this would be the happily ever after. The end Everybody just went along, and they loved one another, and they followed God, and it was great. But here's what's crazy. This is only halfway through the story. There's a whole other half of the story. So here's what it says. But uh, But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish? I knew that you were gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And so he gets angry at God's forgiveness, and he goes, I knew that this is what you would do. This is why I didn't come here. I have been running away because I knew that you would not give them the punishment that they deserve, that you would be compassionate and gracious, and that you would forgive them if they repented. Now, O Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live all right, that's like pretty dramatic, right? Like, come on, dude. Like, uh, but you get it. He's upset. He's upset because he just looks at these people and he goes, these are cruel and evil and nasty people who have been enemies of God's people for so long. How could you just forgive them? But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Wait a minute. Wasn't it just a couple weeks ago that you needed my forgiveness and my compassion and my grace? And now here you are, and you're getting angry because I've extended it to somebody else. And this isn't in the story. This is this is me thinking through what I would feel if I were Jonah, and maybe the argument I would be having in my mind. And it would probably go something like this. But God, they're like way worse than I am. They're like bad, bad people. Like, look, I make mistakes. I get it. I'm not perfect. I can admit that. But like, do you see who we're dealing with here? These people are messed up. These people have done some evil things. And so, look, I get it. I messed up. But these people, they're way beyond your grace. They're way beyond your forgiveness. What these people deserve is your judgment. And so, Jonah, he's still holding out hope in his bitterness. And so, he goes up to this mountain that overlooks the city, and he's just hoping, okay, God, maybe you're going to change your mind, and you're going to start raining down fire on these people. So, I'm going to hang out until that happens. And so he's sitting in there in the Middle East in this middle of the day, and it is just hot and it is nasty. And eventually, God sends this plant to grow up and to shade him during the day. And so he sits there in his bitterness with a little bit of relief from the shade. Eventually, night falls, he falls asleep, and God sends a worm. And the worm eats the plant and it dies. And so the next day, he's back there sitting again, except this time it's even hotter because God also sends a wind just to rub it in and make it even warmer. And so he is just sitting there, and he is fuming. And God says to him, Jonah, what right do you have to be angry right now? Did you create that vine? No. Did you do anything? Are you entitled to any of this? No. Here's Here's how the story ends. God says, Should I not be concerned with that great city. The prodigal son, this story ends up the same way. See, remember in the prodigal son, we not only had the prodigal, the younger brother, but we also had this older brother, and he doesn't show up until the very end of the story. And what happens is, as they are celebrating the return of this son who was once lost and is now found, he arrives on the scene, and he sees that there's a huge celebration taking place, and he goes, what is going on? Well, your brother, he's now home, and so we're celebrating the fact that, he, that he's here And he confronts his father and he says, celebrating? I've been here the whole time. I've always been obedient. I've always followed the rules. I've always done what you told me to do. And I've never had a celebration like this. And this is how that story ends. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And that's the end of both stories. (laughs) What? That's the end? What happens? What does Jonah do? Does he get his act together? What about the older brother? Does he get on board? I mean, what's the ending supposed to be? And we can talk about, you know, different endings and and how maybe this would have ended, and and there's some interesting, um, interesting thoughts on that, but I actually want to go a different direction. As I was thinking about these two stories, I'm trying to think, okay, what are we supposed to learn from these two characters? What are we supposed to learn from the older brother and from Jonah here at the end? What was causing them to not only miss this incredible celebration, but also be so full of bitterness and anger? And here's what I came up with, and it's gonna sound so simple. I'm not that smart though, so it took me a while. It's all about grace. That's what they missed. They missed, they missed the whole, they missed, it's all about grace, and in fact, that's kind of what the whole Bible is about, it's it's all about grace, and grace, we kind of throw this word around, but here's the simple idea, grace is that God has blessed you, even though you don't deserve it. God has blessed you, even though you don't deserve it. So Jonah, um, did you choose to be born as a Hebrew, as God's chosen people? Is that something that you chose, that you had anything to do with? No, Mm mm-mm. Okay, well, what about God's calling on your life that he decided that you were going to get to partner with him in saving countless people and their lives and being a part of um, his, what he's doing in the world? Did you have anything to do with that? No. Okay, well, when you rebelled and you decided to go the other way, was there anything in you that deserved the forgiveness that I would reach out to you? And even in my discipline, because I could have just let you go. I could have just said, well, there's Jonah, good luck to you, and just let you feel the weight of your decisions, and that's the end of it. No, no, in my grace, I disciplined you and brought you back to me. Did you deserve any of that? No. How about the older brother? What did you do? Well, you were born here in this family with opportunities and riches, and what did you do? Nothing. Oh, what you did was you pretended like you loved me so that you could get my stuff. That's what you did? So you think that deserves something? See, at the end of the day, it's all grace, It's all grace. It's not just true of them. It's true of us, right? It's all grace. Think about it. Um, Did we choose for God to create us? (laughs) No. He didn't console with us. First go, so would you like to be created? That's kind of backwards. I don't think even that makes sense. No, no, of course not. He created the heavens and the earth and you and I, and there's nothing that we did to deserve this. In fact, it's not even for his benefit. It was for ours so that we could share in a relationship with him and so that we could experience what it is to be alive. Or what about our relationship with him? When things go south with humanity and we decide to rebel, he could have just said, all right, I'm done with you. I'll let you guys you know, go, and, and this thing will kind of self-destruct pretty soon. No, he, he intervenes, and he says, here's who I am, and here's how you can come back to a relationship with me. Not only that, but I'm going to be the one that provides a way back. Even the very desire to know God is not initiated by you or I. Like the fact that you're here today and that you have any, any kind of desire to know God is not because you decided that. Think about that for a moment. Scripture says that you were spiritually dead in your sins. How does a dead person reach out for God? You don't. God reaches out for you. So, so even the desire to know God is initiated by Him. We could begin to talk about all the different arenas of our life in which. We don't deserve what God has given us. We don't deserve to be sitting in this room. I have friends in Africa right now who has never experienced air conditioning, has never had medical care, has never gotten to drive a car. Who, what's what's different about you and them? Like, what 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 do you what did you do to deserve to live here and be born here? Now I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just trying to make you understand it's all grace. It's all grace. The relationships that we have, the opportunities. None of that is something that we deserve. I was reminded of this recently, uh, last couple of weeks, is uh, two weeks ago, I got up and I was getting ready to go and, um, and do my workout in the morning, and as I'm heading downstairs, I started getting myself ready, and I started to feel a little bit, a little bit dizzy, and within about 30 seconds, this dizziness um, became where I couldn't even stand it. It was kind of like I was on a, a ride at a carnival, you know, where you're stuck against the wall and you're going around and you can't even like lift your head up. It's one of those where you just try to spit out the gobstopper. You remember, and you, okay, it didn't work. Anyway, it was like one of those. And quickly it started to get worse and worse until I, was, I felt like I was literally stuck on the ground. And so I'm laying there and it's, it's starting to, to speed up and I'm starting to kind of get a little bit concerned here. And so I eke out a little, Amy. So Amy comes down, and she sees me laid out on the ground, and she goes, what's wrong? I go, I don't know, but I think there's a problem. Why don't you call my dad and see if he can come over, because he, he lives right across the street. So dad comes over, and he sees me on the ground, and by this time, by the time he gets over there, and it's a little graphic, but uh, I am just, I'm vomiting all over myself, all over the ground. I'm sweating profusely, and I cannot move. I'm, I'm just about paralyzed on the ground. Um, my eyes have begun to, to close because they're starting to dart back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, nonstop to where I, I can't see anything anymore. And, uh, and I am laid out. And so they're going to call 911 because I don't know what's going on. I mean, is, you know, what's the deal? Eventually, my dad uh, gets my brother-in-law, Matt, to come over. They lift me up, and they put me in the back of the car, and I am just, (laughs) I'm a mess. I am vomiting all over the place. I can't see. I'm falling apart pretty quickly. And so they rush me to the the ER, and they get the people, and they come out, and they get me out of the car, and they put me in a wheelchair. And here's, like, one of the good things about being really sick is they don't make you wait in the waiting room, okay? So if you're ever, like, I need to go to the ER, just... Just get really hurt or really injured. They'll just bring you right in. It's great. It's like a VIP service. And so they they bring me in there, and um, at this point, I am almost non communicative. My brain is completely fogged, I can't make sense of anything. And so they start hooking me up to all these machines and EKG because they're like, well, maybe he's having a heart attack. And then they start doing workups with my blood and, and MRI and a CT. Maybe he's having a stroke. And so they start walking through all these. And then they begin to sedate me so that I can kind of start to feel at least a little bit of relief. And, and so we go through this whole thing. And it takes all day. And it, I got to be honest, probably the most miserable day of my life. And we get to the end of it and they go, we can't figure out what's going on. We're not exactly sure what the problem is. So the next step is you got to go see a specialist. And so we're going to send you home with all these medications tomorrow. You're going to go. You're going to see a specialist. We're going to start finding out what the, what the next thing is. And so I go to the specialist the next day, and uh, my dad, you know, brings me in, and I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm just trying to not throw up. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there, and, he, and from the hallway, I hear him, the doctor coming, and he says, vestibular neuritis. That's what you have, vestibular neuritis. And I'm like, I don't even know what that, what are you talking about? I don't even know what that means. so he begins to explain to me, he says, here's the deal, is somehow you have got an infection that has got into your inner ear and then infected the nerve that connects your inner ear to your brain. And that has become inflamed, and then that disrupts all the signals, and so your body is just all kinds of out of whack. I mean, you, you're, you're, you're going to be a mess for a little while. Good news is you'll eventually recover. So we're going to get you some medication. You're going to do some rehab in the next four to six weeks, and you're going you're gonna to get this thing figured out. And so, uh, so he sends me on my way, and I go home. And it's funny, the, the, next, uh, the next week or so, as I'm beginning to sort of get my senses back and I'm beginning to, start to figure things out a little bit. My friends would reach out to me and go, "Hey man, how are you feeling today?" I heard you know it's been a rough week, and I said, "Yeah, it's been been interesting." And and I said, you know, every day when someone would text me and go, "Hey, how are you feeling?" I go, "I got to be honest. I'm so thankful to be out of bed today." And then the next day they would text me, "Hey, how are you doing? Doing?" I go, "You know what? I went downstairs by myself. <laughs> Don't tell Amy because I didn't tell her, but I went downstairs by myself. Like it was amazing, you know. And and I went outside, and I got to walk." Uh, you know, in front of the house for a little bit, and then I walked around the whole block, and then I, I got to go to kids' practice this week, and I got to be at church this weekend, and I got to do, and look, and I'm not, like, trying to be overly dramatic or anything like that. Look, I know people have way, 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 way harder stuff that they're dealing with. Here's my reminder, is I'm not entitled to any of this. Like, being here with you, worshiping together, Watching my kids play and laugh and being able to have dinner with Amy, none of that is promised to me or you. And it's because it's we don't deserve any of it. It's all grace. God gives it to us. And I think there's those, those moments where we have to remember, oh, yeah, that's right. All of this is God's grace. My health, my, my career, my family, everything that I do, the very breath in my lungs is just God's grace in my life. So Doyle was um, asking me, because he was supposed to be out of town, and so he's like, oh, I'm going to stay in town, you know, make sure I can handle this weekend, whatever, and uh, I said, Dad, I think I got it. I think, a, I think I'm at least a 63-year-old Doyle good uh, for this weekend. <laughs> I just wanted to, I know he's watching this service, so I just wanted him to hear that. Um, no, but I just said, it's, it's all grace. And so one of the things that I think that the The prodigal, or that the older brother and Jonah missed in this whole thing was the fact that they are prodigals too. They don't deserve anything. See, they thought, well, I'm I'm about this level bad, and so I deserve about this level of stuff in my life of God's goodness and grace. No, there's two categories you're either sinful or sinless. Which of the two do you fit into? And then everything is grace from then on out. It's all grace. I, 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 uh, I was telling some, some folks last night, they said, how you been feeling? I said, I have to be honest. Like, Amy's been totally freaked out, which I get. Like, she watched me just, like, you know, crumble in front of her eyes. I said, I've never been more happy in the last two weeks because I, I was reminded, oh, God is good. God is really, really good. Even in, in those difficult moments, man, God has been so good to me and to my family, and it has caused me to celebrate. I think that's the difference is people who can celebrate, no matter what season they're in, are people who understand first who they are and also who God is. They understand they are entitled to nothing and yet God has been so good to them. And so that's how I wanted to end today's service, is, um, is a reminder that we are all prodigals and yet God has been so good to us, so much better to us than we deserve. And so we're gonna do one more song and as they, they come up and, and they get ready, I'm gonna pray for us. Lord God, I thank you for um, your grace, this unmerited favor that you have given me and everybody else in this room. Um, There's nothing in me that deserves to know you, to be forgiven by you, to be in a relationship with you, to have the the life that I have. It has all just been because you are good and you love us. And Lord, in those moments in which life is difficult and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, we can either be bitter and angry about it because we believe we're entitled to something or... We can remember, oh, this is all grace, and it is through your kindness that we have the lives that we do. And so, Lord God, we come as prodigals remembering the fact that you have welcomed us home with open arms, and you have been so, so good. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message, and remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings or you can always join us live online at ccoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.